Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, August 8th, 2022. On the show today, news, listener questions, and an interesting ride vehicle patent filed by Disney. In our main segment, Jim gives us the history of Epcot's Millennium Celebration. So we're all going to celebrate the future hand in hand. Let's get started by bringing in the man whose job hunting tip of the day is that when you're asked to explain a gap in your resume, say... Yeah, it's the one time I felt joy as an adult. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? <laughs> that one is good. I have to admit, I am so happy to have this gig because I don't know how anybody actually gets a job today. I know. You know how, does that, how does that work? Yeah. You have to write a resume that has the proper keywords that you, you then yeah, get submit. Get it past the robots, yeah. Yeah, and it's just sort of like, how does one do that these days? It's kind of like dating, Len. You know, the whole notion, aren't you happy that you and Laurel have been together as long as you have, and likewise myself and Nancy, because it's like, I wouldn't want to be out there right now. No, no, God, no, no. And to sort through people like me, oh my God, no, even worse. No, 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 no. That's it, exactly. And I'm just so happy that Nancy had such low standards. <laughs> he stands upright and he has a pulse. We're in. Okay. You know, like, I was so. helping uh, I was helping somebody with um, uh, upload a resume to one of those, you know, um, job application sites a couple weeks ago. Mm. And, you know, it asks you to, to do your resume. And then it, it basically does like optical character recognition mm-hmm. of your resume. And then it presents mm-hmm. things like, we think this is your education section. Does this look right? We think this is your previous employment section. Does this look right? Right. So you confirm mm-hmm. all of that. You fix the typos and everything. You hit next. And then the next mm-hmm. question, uh, the next screen is like, now if you'd like to type in your employment history for us, that would be great. I'm like, bro. <laughs> <laughs> like what? <laughs> what? What are we doing here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've got some. Ju- I've got some ju- some suggestions for this company right now. <laughs> yeah, but again, you know that we have to please our robot masters if we're you know we're yeah. we're, we're going to move forward here. Oh, and it's like God. okay, let me type it again so it's I just can a type whole it again. Whole new world. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. All right. Okay. So let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Jonathan Robinson. Amy Ruth and Rob Weaver, and longtime subscribers Belfan, Mike Toby, and Mashley37. Jim, these are the Disney Imagineers that proposed a real life-size game of mousetrap for the queue of Slinky Dog Dash in Disney's Hollywood Studios. The idea was that everyone knew the game, it had colorful pieces, and it added a dynamic sense of movement to the land. But when Custodial had to come in early every morning to free up a bathtub full of trapped tourists, the idea was quietly abandoned. True story. Oh, this is why we can't have nice things, Len. <laughs> All right. So a family from Iowa was, was minorly inconvenient. It's not like it's for- cold at night in Florida. It's perfectly warm. It's absolutely fine. And think of the view. The, the first ones in the park of the day, they can immediately exactly. get in line exactly. for yeah. Slinky Dog Dash. It's win More of the crowd. That's right. Yeah, so you just can't make some people happy, Jim. That's what I'm going with. <laughs> That's exactly. All right. All right, let's do the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. All right, Jim, just as a reminder, you and I are doing the second annual Gingerbread Challenge in Walt Disney World starting Friday, December 2nd. And that includes a live podcast recording on December 2nd. Tickets are available at touringplans.com slash 2022-Disney-Dish-TP. That should be fun. Also, Jim, I've, uh, I know that uh, you and I have talked about ordering trophies for our Run Like Jack Sparrow contest on our upcoming Disney Dish Cruise. I also have 
ordered actual racing car trophies for the gingerbread challenge because that's going to include the second annual race for tomorrow today in the Tomorrowland Speedway. So, and and as usual, Chrissy said, uh, all judging will be completely biased and basically we're giving prizes to children. So please come along and and join us on that day in the Magic Kingdom. Okay, and and I will volunteer to stand with Chrissy and explain to you know the folks at security. You know when they're <laughs> checking the bag, it's like, what's with the trophies? Yeah, <laughs> it, <laughs> just just go with it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right, uh, onto the news, Jim. Our friends over at wdwmagic.com note that two new sets of permits filed at Walt Disney World indicate that some projects are moving along. So uh, they note that a new permit has filed at Roundup Rodeo Barbecue at Disney's Hollywood Studios, which means it's closer to its opening. Uh, so the uh, the permit, it calls for the installation of themed facades. And that's important because generally the facade is the last thing that you work on uh, right before it opens because you don't want construction equipment uh, or construction material having to go through a facade because it'll get dinged up and banged around and you basically just have to repair and repaint it. So uh, facade is one of the last things to go in. I'm really interested to see here, Jim, how they position the facade relative to the pathway in Toy Story Land. Because to me, this is the Monsters, Inc. laugh floor problem all over again. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. the potential, right? The idea with, uh, and you and I have talked about this on the show, but the, the, one of the problems with Monsters, Inc. laugh floor is that you walk by it and it's not obvious that there's an, where the entrance is or what it is. And mm-hmm. I, uh, I'm interested to see how they do the facade for the Rondo Rodeo barbecue. On the one hand, you don't want to make it too obvious so that no. guests in the morning walk over to that and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they don't have reservations and they're trying to get to a ride, right? Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you want it to be obvious enough that people go, I wonder what that is. And I wonder if mm-hmm. I can get in for dinner. Just based on what I've seen of the construction, I would assume if you are traveling from the Galaxy Edge side yeah. through Toy Story Land, that this will be fairly straight on. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, just think of the folks who are coming off of the old Mickey Avenue into right. Pixar Place. Yeah. And I wonder if more people, I think, I always suspect more people come that way than through the Galaxy's mm-hmm. Edge way. Given how badly that area needs a sit-down restaurant. I mean, the, know, the studios um, need sit-down restaurants. The studio needs more, uh, more dining options. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Second permit filed was for the Moana Journey of Water. And this uh, permit, according to WDW Magic, has the uh, the descriptive words install sets? You know, every, every time I, I read a, a a permit that is exactly two words long, I'm thinking, like, is there an ode to minimalism award that <laughs> <laughs> that people give out for these things? <laughs> you ever heard the joke about the monastery, where the people who work at the monastery are only allowed to say two words every ten years? So anyway, you know, head of the monastery, a new you know, a new initiate. You know, so 10 years passes, get, can go back to the head of the monastery. And, and so what are your words? You know, yeah. It's like, bad heart. Like, okay. <laughs> All right. And then another 10 years goes by, and the now somewhat new fish goes to the, head of the monastery. And it's like, oh, okay, you get two words. And it's like, food terrible. <laughs> and then finally, at the end of you know, the, the next 10 years, you know, again, this monk goes to the, head of the monastery, and it's like, I quit. And the head of the monastery, well, well, go ahead. All you've ever done is complain. <laughs> I'm not surprised. There we go. <laughs> Since you got here. That's just... <laughs> All right. That's a good joke. So the, uh, the, uh, the install sets thing is interesting because it's done by a New York-based firm called Adirondack Scenic, 
And they've also done work at Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser, at Frozen Ever After, at Navi River Journey, and Moromoto Asia. Jim, I uh, would like to point out that uh, among those four things, the Galactic mm-hmm. Star Cruiser, Frozen Ever After, the Navi River Journey, and Moromoto Asia, none of them have anything to do with the Adirondacks. <laughs> so, so they must be very good at what they do, uh, which is fine. This is true. This right. is true. So, uh, so it looks like the uh, uh, construction is picking up at Moana Journey mm-hmm. of Water. I, th- I still think this is a 2023 thing, not a 2022 thing. But uh, I expect more. We'll hear more about it at the upcoming D23 Expo. Yeah, have you seen the graphic that's out there now for the for the attraction where they? I mean, literally, the journey of water is from clouds to rain to stream to river to ocean to repeat cycle. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's a charming conceit. Yeah, it's no, no, and, be, it, and it's educational too. It fits in with the theme of Epcot. Like I can, I can see my way to that. Yeah, yeah, and so just I'm going to be fascinated to see how they actually illustrate that exact process. I'm, I'm expecting that at some point they talk about, you know, water filtration and stuff, and they use Dwayne the Rock Johnson as the uh, – <laughs> because if not, that's just an opportunity lost, right, Jen? Oh, that's okay. – again, low-hanging fruit. <laughs> okay, there we go. All right, on to surveys. Uh, our friend Christopher sends in this non-Disney survey, but I love it mm-hmm. just because the question – it's from SiriusXM, who I also love – And the question is this, Jim. People don't always pay attention when taking surveys. This question is testing whether you paid attention while taking the survey. Please select very likely below. And your responses are not at all likely, not likely, neither likely nor unlikely, somewhat likely or very likely. And Christopher selected very likely, so good job. Oh, good, good. (laughs) It's nice to see that it's a standard industry practice though, right? Yes. So (laughs) give them points for putting that in there. All right. And here's the survey from Universal Orlando that our friend Rachel sent in. Uh, And she gives us some background and says this. We went to Central Florida to take our daughter to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. In parentheses, why didn't Disney jump at that? And we made a stop at Hollywood Studios first to finally get on Rise and Mickey Minnie's Runaway Railway. I thought the direct questions below uh, about our Disney experience from Universal were bold, though it could be that they asked that all the time. Thanks for the podcast. All right. So here's the questions from Universal. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you visited or will visit Disney on this trip. Have you already visited Disney? Yes, I visited Disney before I visited Universal. Or no, I'll visit Disney after my visit to Universal. So Jim, let me ask you this question. Hmm. Why ask this question? Thanks to our buddy BioReconstruct, we Mm -hmm. were watching Epic Universe jump out of the ground, which lots of stuff coming to the table with that park that's Disney quality or above. Mm -hmm. And the whole notion of, okay, so where are we in the game here? Did you start at Disney or did you start at Universal? Because that's kind of telling. First choice, second choice. Yeah. That's it, exactly. And and in fact, I I know that Disney has been concerned over the last decade or so by watching the radical shift of tourists from the UK, who, you remember, will come over for 30 days and and rent a house out in Davenport and travel to the various destinations in the, the tourist corridor. And since the Wizarding World opened up, to Disney's utter dismay, these folks from the UK were beginning their trips at Universal. They wanted to go see Harry Potter, which meant Universal got the first crack at their wallets. And it's like, yeah. hey, do you want a gown? Do you want a wand? How how about five different forms of butterbeer? And that means that there's much less money left to spend once you get over to the Magic Kingdom. And that's that's what I think the implication is. Like, it's one thing to be, you know, first choice. But the implication mm-hmm. on first choice is first crack at the wallet 
There we go. Ah, fantastic. Yeah, that's a great observation, mm-hmm. Jim. All right. Uh, next question. How would you compare your overall Universal theme park experience with your Disney theme park experience? Much better than Disney, somewhat better than Disney, about the same, somewhat worse than Disney or much worse than Disney. So this is just a general, like, how are we doing overall, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And remember, um, I've done surveys for the unofficial guide for many, many years. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I, I believe in my heart is that whenever you ask a survey question, everyone will always put the words for the money I spent at the end of that question. Even if you tell them, don't consider the money you spent. <laughs> it's just ingrained. And these are expensive vacations, right? But it's ingrained in us so much that it's, mm-hmm. it's difficult to think about value for money with any of these. So I'd love to know what the answer to that one is. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, next question is, and I love this one. Which theme park would you say provided the best experience with each of the following things? And the two columns here are you either have to pick Universal or you have to pick Disney. And the first one, value for money. The next one is uh, rides or attractions, Mm -hmm. food and beverage offerings, seamlessness or the hassle-free nature. And let me just say, I don't even know why there's two options here. (laughs) 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 <laughs> wait, wait, I, I, clink, I can't click on the Disney uh, radio button. What is this strange? <laughs> All right. Ease of planning. And um, that's kind of related, but I guess they're not the, yeah. uh, the same. So ease of planning is before you got there. I guess uh, hassle-free nature mm-hmm. is once you got there. Guest service. And I would say, generally speaking, those are, those are both about the same. And then a mm-hmm. customized or a personalized visit. Now, here's my, here's my question. Why would you include that? Because when I'm thinking about customized or personalized visits, what does that what does that even entail? One of the things that Universal does, you've been in and done the Ollivanders thing, you, yeah, you've yeah, watched yeah, which I love. Yeah, I think that's a it's a great experience. Yeah, but that's the thing. I think that Universal is looking at one person gets elected, and mm-hmm. seventeen others get to watch, and it's it's a wonderful show. Yeah, but there is a market there, and. Yeah. Universal is looking at what's been going on with Galactic Star Cruiser. Ah, oh, right. I don't know is they're necessarily looking to get into the $5,000 for on-the-land cruise experience. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, the fact that people walk away from that evangelizing about, oh my God, the wonderful individual experiences I had on that thing. And it's just the notion of, okay, is that the next big thing? Yeah, could we do that? Yeah. Just simply, all right, let's find out how we're doing and what are the point whether there's actually an audience out there for this, you know, a customer base looking for this experience. Wow. That's super interesting. Cause we know that there's a hotel uh, that's going to be either right on the edge of or inside Epic mm-hmm. universe. And if it's a themed hotel, that would be even better. Interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, last question from universal. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you visited Disney on this trip. Did you use any of the following products during your visit? Individual lightning lane, Disney Genie Plus, Disney Genie, or none of these. And I love that uh, that Universal uh, provided a one-sentence description of each of these. And I think that's funny because, uh, Jim, I don't know if you saw the uh, the news on Twitter yesterday, but Disney's now come out with uh, six separate videos that describe the difference for uh, people planning their vacations between the uh, individual Lightning Lane, Genie Plus, and Genie. And it's three products and six videos, Jim, which tells me that there's some sort of like combinatorial uh, optimization problem going on here. Like every time they add one more product, the number of possible videos uh, increases by a, by a factorial component. Oh, 
if, there, if there was a fourth component, there'd be 24 videos is what I'm saying, Jim. Oh, my God. <laughs> we have an entire YouTube channel dedicated to customer support. <laughs> Welcome to Disney. When you are literally used as, what is the opposite of ease of use? Oh, uh, lightning lane, please. Like, <laughs> take a look at that. I mean, when your vacation experience uh, involves stereo instructions, <laughs> when I have to watch two videos right. to figure out how to go to book passage on one attraction, that's wrong, Len. Oh, you know, when, it, when, I, uh, when I'd rather uh, assemble IKEA furniture than, uh, than oh, think yeah. about how to do a vacation, then, then you know you've lost. Yeah, oh, yeah, speaking of yeah. which, Jim, we, uh, we talked last week about mm -hmm. the Disney website uh, being used at another Fortune 100 company yes. for a bad example of UX design. So somebody mm -hmm. sent in another example of it, and it was, uh, it was this. If you go to the tech support page on the Disney website, like for help, they ask you mm -hmm. like for your name and your email address and a, big, a, big, a brief description of what went wrong so they can contact you. Well, the funny thing is, is this person that sent it in uh, said that the email address form doesn't accept all valid email addresses. And the example that he gave was if you have a, uh, an email of the form last name dot first initial, hmm. that Disney's website doesn't think that that's a valid email address. That is, it doesn't follow the, uh, so there's a, there's a protocol, there's a, there's a standard for validating email addresses. I believe this is a RFC 822, but I went and tried it and it doesn't work. So, so if you were like, hill.j at you know jimhelmedia.com that would actually not work on disney's website wouldn't accept that and the ironic thing jim is that it's on a tech support page like email addresses oh. don't work correctly on the tech support page and i just love that jim it's just it, it puts a little bow on everything to me we are disney gonna <laughs> we've been validating email addresses nigh on 20 years now jim yeah, trust me. We we know how to do this. This is verging on Douglas Adams you know, territory. <laughs> you know, I mean, that part of Hitchhikers that I love about the well, you know, I went to file a complaint. It's like, well, yeah. <laughs> behind the sign that says "Beware of Leopard." There we go. <laughs> and it just right. lavatory. Well, the lights are yeah. gone. Let's go with the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> It's one of the funniest Fair. passages in that book. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely. And the fact that we can quote it like 30 years later is just even funnier. That tells you what a vivid piece of writing and more to the point, we should not be living it in real life. And it's just sort of like, yeah. come on, somebody at Disney Tech has to realize. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's got to be a component out there to validate email addresses and to standardize it. But again, it, it goes back to our you know, original email. That there's um, you know, too many siloed groups. Anyway. I uh, mm -hmm. thought it was a funny story. All right, uh, two quick listener questions, and then I want to talk about a Disney patent. First listener question is from Kevin, who says, uh, listen to your story about Frozen Ever After. I want to give you my own story. This past February, we were staying at the Grand Floridian and headed to Epcot on a Monday evening for the After Hours events. We wanted to ride Frozen Ever After and hightailed it there during the last Song of Harmonious. We flew into Norway. My daughter's stroller was on two wheels as we rounded the corner, and we parked <laughs> it in Norway. <laughs> Okay. It's like me when I'm running for school bread in the morning. Uh, and we made it, and we were the third family in line. So we come around the corner and uh, on the boat, and we hear the first song is being sung like Olaf had a heart attack. Olaf, in mid-song, just leans over and falls flat on his side, and all the music stops. But the bot keeps going. This is like Olaf is Terminator, I think. So we, we go through the whole ride, and all the characters are standing still at attention while some eerie background music loop plays through. This takes place for the entirety of the ride, 
and it is quite possibly the weird experience we've ever had in a theme park. Consequently, the ride shut down for the evening, and they didn't give us passes to come back and ride again. I guess I was forced to just let it go. So beautiful wow. story, great summary on that one, Kevin. That's a that's, yeah. that's a great story. But interesting, we're going to be talking about Y two K on the second half of today's show, and this this sounds like a very Y two K moment. All right, here's one from uh, Craig. He says, uh, ride capacity is a frequent subject on the Disney dish. I remember there being talk a couple years ago about a Mary Poppins experience going into the UK pavilion. If they're going to put IP in the pavilion anyway, why not put Mr. Toad's Wild Ride in there? It seems like a pretty dependable ride in Disneyland. It wouldn't take up too much space, and it would spread the crowds out a little more in World Showcase. I get that it's not a big showstopper attraction, but it seems to stay busy at Disneyland. And that ending, woo, just wondering. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I, I, I put... Craig's letter in here, Jim, mm -hmm. is that it pre presents a conundrum for me. On the one hand, I love Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. I think it is one of the best conceived theme park attractions Disney's ever done. And to Craig's point, the fact that you end up in hell uh, at the end of the ride is just something that n very few other ride designers would have would have thought of. On the other hand, you know my feelings about uh, intellectual property and characters in Epcot. Mm -hmm. So this is this is a toss up for me. But the other thing that's important to remember about Mr. Toad's Wild Ride is, is remember, it was opening day yeah. Disneyland, Disneyland, where yeah. the Imagineers were just learning their craft and the notion of, well, you know, end of the ride, sure, we can send them to hell. That's suitable for a family fun park, right? You know, that, that's not <laughs> going to be a problem. We're going we're gonna to try a bunch of things and see what sticks. Yeah, and the fact that that ending stayed in place when they moved the attraction to Walt yeah. Disney World, and this is actually a really interesting idea, and if a different gentleman were in charge of the Walt Disney Company right now, might be considered. But Bob Chapek is all about, show me the spreadsheet, show me yeah. how much merch that character has moved, and yeah. there is a reason that Moana Journey of Water is going into the parks, or likewise, Tiana's Mardi Gras Adventure. This is more about, show me what that character has earned, and is that, okay, exactly. that's going to the parks. Yeah. So. If Toad starts to move big merch, then we have an option here. But So we all know what we have to do is what I'm, is what I'm hearing from you, Jim. There we go. There we go. <laughs> go to World of Disney right now. Where's the Toad merch? Come on. You know, like, I just need some Toad merch. That's exactly it. There we go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> all right. Speaking of rides, Jim, uh, Disney filed an interesting patent uh, that I'd like to get your input on. So it's titled Guided Boat with External Discreet Yaw Control. I'm not sure what all of those words mean together, Jim, but hopefully there's a picture. And it mm -hmm. seems like this is a, so it's a water raft, right? Sort of like the Kali River Rapids raft. But mm -hmm. I gather that the interesting thing here is that um, unlike Kali River Rapids, where your boat can spin around freely in the water, this one is guided on a rail or a bogey. But the ride vehicle itself can spin around. And I know we've seen spinning rides, most notably on uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind, which has a spinning coaster on it. But this looks like it's an application of the same idea to a water-based ride. What's, uh, what's Disney thinking here? You know, Disney specializes in let me tell you a story on right. your ride show and attraction. And if you can discreetly control... The orientation, uh, you know, and face it, w water is tricky, you know, because it's like it's one thing to have a vehicle in a trough where, mm -hmm. you know, it's like you're all going in one direction and you're, you know, a small world of Pirates of the Caribbean right. type thing. Whereas Kali, you are spinning. It's difficult to tell a story when, when, when you're in it, a, exactly. yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. 
you know, so you hmm. have to do, you have to do broad strokes with something like Kali. I mean, for example, this is the part where they've deforested, you know, and it's like, yeah. on, and on both sides, you know, you have denuded banks and stumps that are still smoldering. It's like, okay, I get it. This is where this happened. Yeah. Where if on the other hand, you're trying to tell a very specific story, you have to be able to orientate you know, your ride vehicle to a specific bank at a specific moment. And right. they're suggesting that if we could take that ride vehicle and periodically lock it into place so we're telling a story point, and, but also have the thrill element. Yeah, that's the interesting part. Yeah. the uh, I do note here that the channel, the water channel that is shown in this diagram is fairly wide. So I don't think this is like a splash mountain concept no. because they'd have to redo that the entire uh flume system for that this does more look look, look more like uh either like grizzly river rapids in dca or um or collie river rapids but it's an interesting idea no absolutely but at the same time the sort of the recessed trough that the vehicle is supposed to be in mm -hmm. gives just that element of control about its path as it moves through you know these various waterways so it'd be interesting to see where this pops up in the parks all right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim starts giving us the history of Epcot's Millennium Celebration. We'll be right back. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. There are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain, like learning a new language or by taking a power nap. Just so you know, I'm really good at that last one. But you know what else helps support a healthy brain? BetterHelp Online Therapy. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat-only therapy sessions, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's also much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Look, anyone who's been on this planet for the past two and a half years or so knows that life can sometimes get a little stressful. And trust me, I know it can sometimes be incredibly helpful just to talk things out. So why not get some personalized therapy that can then lead to a happier you? And did I mention our listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash DizzyDish? That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash DizzyDish. We thank them for sponsoring today's episode. Do you feel like you need a bit more magic in your life? Why not give Storybook Destinations a try? Storybook Destinations is an authorized Disney vacation planner, and all other counselors who work for this full-service travel agency have received extensive training when it comes to the Disney theme parks, resorts, cruises, vacation packages, and more. These travel professionals have years of experience when it comes to planning customized Disney vacations, which is why you can always book with confidence when it's the Storybook Destination team that's helping you find the vacation of your dreams. Best of all, they offer their booking and planning services at no cost to you. So if you're once again ready to travel, why not learn more about what Storybook Destination has to offer by visiting their website, www.storybookdestinations.com. Tomorrow, only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift Vieira's Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tomorrow, only on Disney+. Plus. All right, Jim, you and I were talking about, was it pin trading? And yep. you had this great story about how pin trading and Epcot's 
Millennium Celebration came together in one sort of cohesive whole. How does that begin? The interesting thing, of course, Millennium Celebration at Walt Disney World begins October of 1999. Mm -hmm. But the company starts looking seriously at the millennium in 1996. And, and we're talking about, okay, how are we celebrating in the parks, but also the Y2K issue, which, you oh, know, right, maybe, yeah. maybe that our younger listeners don't remember or did never heard about the whole Y2K bug thing. When you were at American Express, were they concerned about this as well? Oh, they, yeah. Whole- we had, um, you know, for years, we had planned mm-hmm. not only uh, remediation steps, but contingencies in case mm-hmm. it happened. The big thing with American Express, obviously, is charge authorization to make sure that, um, mm-hmm. you know, when you want to use your card, you're able to. So we spent, uh, you know, years and years and years on that. And we, we found a, a, a number of, I don't think we ever found like a critical flaw, like something mm-hmm. that was like, this is going to bring the company down. But there were definitely issues where like, you know, handling dates is two digits caused mm-hmm. problems. And I remember writing a series of routines that tried to infer what the date, what the year was if you only had two digits. So we'd put mm-hmm. rules in place that said, you know, if your year of birth was like, you know, below a certain number, assume that's the 1900s. And if it was above a certain mm-hmm. number, you know, and so on. So, um, yeah, so we, we had to do it. And I think everyone, uh, you know, we made it. None of the, uh, none of the dire predictions panned out. That's the thing, you know, that, that back then, you know, the whole notion was, you know, the electrical grid was going to collapse and all of the computers would, would go crazy. And yeah, planes would fall out of the sky. Yeah, you know. No, that's yeah, it yeah. exactly. So the interesting thing is Disney actually had its own task force of 800 people within sure. the company who who seriously invested Y2K and, and tried to decide, all right, what do we do? And at the parks... For the evening of December 31st, 1999, there's this wonderful article in the Sentinel where it's like three days out and they're chatting with Disney and Universal. Well, what are you guys doing? How are you prepping? And it's like, well, we've spent all this time investigating. We're fairly confident nothing's going to happen. But at the same time, we have invested in emergency lights that will feed off of gas generators that we have positioned in place backstage in all of the parks. So if, you know, something happens, we can immediately light the parks and guests can at least get out of them. And, and then the more interesting contingency, Len, is that both Disney and Universal had a plan in place that at 11.45 on the night of December 31st, 1999, they shut down all of the rides in the parks. Oh, yeah, sure, and sure. The boilerplate was, well, we're doing that because we want people to be out in the park to enjoy our special fireworks show that we're doing in honor of the millennium. But, you know, the other hard reality here is we want everybody off the rides just in case something does, in fact, go wrong. And, you know, Lincoln goes after somebody in the crowd. (laughs) All the guests are loaded off the rides. And then, you know, after the stroke of midnight, they run a few test vehicles through. And if everything's fine... I, and it was yeah. by 12.15. All the rides were back open again, back and, and guests who had finished watching the fireworks could go to their favorite Disney attraction. But really what we're talking about today isn't necessarily the why to take cake concerns, but it's how best to do the Millennium Celebration at the Disney parks. Yeah, I mean, we're, uh, we're only getting one shot at a millennium, right? <laughs> That's it, exactly. But take, for example, California. California is in the middle of transforming from just one theme park with the Disneyland Park and the parking lot and the Disneyland Hotel to the Disney Resort with the construction of California Adventure and their version of Downtown Disney and the Grand Californian. And mm-hmm. 
All of that's been underway since January of 1998. That's when the parking lot closed. And they then began transforming that into California Adventure. So it was like, for California, it's like, look, this isn't really an option. You know, California Adventure isn't going to open until February of 2001. This place is a construction site. So we can't do a months-long celebration. But we can do a one-night-only party. So let's focus in on that. Whereas in Florida, they really looked at it, it's like, we just did what was supposed to be a 15-month-long celebration of Walt Disney World's 25th anniversary, and and that was a huge success. So we'd like to do, for lack of a better term, a sequel to that. In fact, the 25th anniversary celebration in London was so successful, they actually extended it by three months to March of 1998. Now, mind you, they could not go any further because April of 1998 is when Animal Kingdom opened. Oh, yeah. And they want they want that to be the focus. That's it, exactly. You, you pivot from, okay, we've wrapped our 25th to, hey, come visit our brand new park. That was the other reason why the thinking at Walt Disney World is like, well, we need to do a big millennium celebration because a year and change after Animal Kingdom opens, you know, all of the guests who were excited about our, our fourth theme park will have done it. We need to give people a compelling reason to come back. Back. So that was the thing. It's like, okay, a year and change after Animal Kingdom opens, let's do our Millennium Celebration. And more to the point, let's put it in our least profitable park, which is Epcot. By the way, this least possible thing, the Sentinel shares this info in 1999, and, and Disney doesn't dispute it. That Epcot is the least profitable park. Yeah, and uh, but at the same time, Flower and Garden didn't start till April of '94, and okay. that that was just five weeks long. Likewise, Food and Wine that doesn't start till September of '96, and first version of that's only thirty days long. Holidays around the world, now known as International Festival of Holidays, that starts that very same year in November of '96, a five week long fest, and. Our most recent addition to the the endless stream of festivals at Epcot, Festival of the Arts, that just started just five years ago, January of uh, 2017. So Epcot at that point did not have these supersized money-making events. I mean, even in the early days of Flower and Garden, Food and Wine, 30 days, five weeks versus right. 12 weeks, 13 Yeah, I mean, weeks. we didn't have Soren. We didn't have, I mean, there were a lot of things we didn't have. So that was the thing. The notion was, let's get some stuff in place at Epcot. Let's take advantage of this opportunity to relaunch Epcot, to rebrand. Is this is this an every 20-year thing now, Jim? <laughs> See, I'm so glad you picked up on that. You know, because again, it's this test of deja vu that's kicking in at this exact moment. Hey, come to the new fun version of Epcot 2.0. <laughs> this was the intent for the 50th anniversary. This was what's supposed to happen in October of, of 2001. And, okay. and nobody planned for the pandemic, you know, the disruption that happened. Right. And if we had had Remy's Ratatouille Adventure, Harmonious, Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, likewise, the Creation Store, uh, Space 220, and the Connections Cafe, and even the Moana uh, Journey of Water. If those had all opened in the same window of time rather than spread out over 18 months, two years, it would have it had so much bigger an impact. It would have had a lot of more heat, a lot more noise. But again, nobody knew that this was what was going to happen with the pandemic. And 
you were just talking about how Moana Journey of Water now looks like it's opening in 2023. Mm -hmm. And I was just talking with somebody about how Play Pavilion now, they're talking 2024. Yeah. I mean, it's not happening next year. If it does, I, I don't. it would be basically uh, two-dimensional cardboard cutouts and a lot of uh, DJ dance party things. And I don't, I don't think that's what they want to, that's what they want to open with. No, and it, it, it just, it's kind of interesting because now they're going back to all of the divisions of the company that were prepping things for Play Pavilion and the yeah. notion of, well, what products do you want to hype now? I, <laughs> Disney, I think Disney Plus, a, yeah. Yeah, there we go. So back to 96. And so the, here they are, they are in advanced prep and planning for the, the Millennium Celebration. So all of these choices are deliberate. Everything they do at Epcot to get it ready for October of 99. The Sorcerer Mickey arm over Spaceship Earth that was supposed to signal this version of Epcot that you're about to walk into is more fun and magical. I consider that, Jim, by the way, an abomination, an affront to God. <laughs> Just like, I can't even. That's all I'm going to say about it. It's, okay. I, and, you know, interesting. You know, every that, uh, day I'll, we stray farther from the light. <laughs> Go ahead. I had friends who were cast members who actually kept track of the number of times it was struck by lightning. I'm just saying, if we're not going to listen to the messages, Jim, we, yep. we deserve what we get. Okay. There we go. <laughs> but then it's all about we have to raise the profits for Epcot. So, yeah. for example, we get the Tapestry of Nations Parade, which is presented twice nightly, once at 6.30 and then one at 8.10. In order to be on hand to see that, yeah. uh, you have to, have to linger in the park. Is that the most sampled parade soundtrack in Walt Disney World history? I mean, I know that there are songs that, you know, that are you know, like, you know, uh, Be Our Guest or whatever, that are, but mm -hmm. in terms of original parade song compositions. I think that's the most sampled song that, that Disney's ever done for a parade. It is interesting to see how many times it pops up. But for me, I, I guess what fascinated me about Tapestry of Nation was the way they did that parade. There were yeah. three different entry points Around a World Showcase Lagoon. Was it, uh, was it UK, Germany, UK. and Mexico? That's it, exactly. Oh, it was, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, okay. And it was one of these things where you went from there is no parade to suddenly there is this giant parade in yeah. front of you. And then it would all magically disappear backstage again. It was, yeah. you know, from a staging point of view, it was brilliantly done. And was that the, um, was that the parade that introduced the torches to World Showcase Lagoon? Well, actually, the torches were put in place for reflections of Earth. Okay, okay. But again, there was a commonality in design language and, you know, the message of the new version of Illumination. Oh, that's right, because there was a, there was like, Tapestry had like a steampunky feel in the... Um, there we go. Mm -hmm. And so did the, oh, the torches, that's, that's where the design came from for the torches. That's super interesting. There you go. Huh. In a weird sort of way, Tapestry of Nations was supposed to sell you out because you needed to stay in the park to see mm -hmm. this brand new version of Illuminations, Reflections of Earth. Mm -hmm. And then you were supposed to have had such a great time during your day at Epcot that you wanted to commemorate it. So you would buy a Leave a Legacy tile, which would then be put on that vaguely Stonehenge-esque gar rock garden that had been assembled uh, in the forecourt Mm -hmm. for Spaceship Earth. Great idea, worst execution. <laughs> if we double back to Walt Disney World's 25th anniversary celebration, Remember the Magic, yeah. one of the more popular components of that 
were those walk around the world uh, you tiles? Know, uh, yeah, the bricks. Yeah, that's it exactly. Yeah. And, and given that the Millennium Celebration was basically a sequel to Walt Disney World's twenty fifth anniversary celebration, it's mm-hmm. like, but well, we need an equivalent. So instead of the walk around the world tiles, let's do the leave a legacy tiles. And yeah. you were right from an execution point of view. For a lot of people, the fact that that when once they did it and they'd come back to Walt Disney World and a they couldn't find themselves, yeah. or b they couldn't recognize themselves. It's yeah. the the process was like wow, I I look like a smudge on metal. So the uh, the interesting thing about the metal thing is you also got a small plastic etching of your mm-hmm. faces in the photo, and I still have mine uh, of me and Hannah. Mm-hmm. It is in my uh, it is in our uh, our fireproof box. So it's one of those things along with birth certificates that uh i oh. i'm trying to uh to save in, in the event of disaster yeah mm-hmm. so yeah and also my uh, the funny thing was my christina who's been on the show before had one mm-hmm. as well but hers was the easiest to find in the because it was like in the first row of stones and she was like a- almost on the corner of one of the bottom rows so it was like you could literally walk up to it and go that's chrissy and i think Hers wore out because I would rub it every time I walked into Epcot. <laughs> like, oh, where's Chrissy? Yeah, you know. Yeah. It's interesting. We bought a tile for Alice for Walk Around the World mm-hmm. for years. Whenever I would go to the kingdom, it's like I couldn't enter till I found Alice first. Exactly. And, said, yeah, yeah. and so, they're still there. They just moved them, right? They're over by the yeah. closer to the bus stops now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and in fact, I'll be intrigued to find out whether or not Chrissy retain, retained her easy to find position. But <laughs> all right. So we've talked about all the ways that people were compelled to stay late at the park, you know, right. the Tapestry of Nations, Reflections of Earth. But now we need to talk about what makes you go deeper into the park. What makes you want to stay during the day? Okay. And that assignment, that project gets handed to Terry Dobson, who at this point is a veteran show producer at Walt Disney Imagineering. In fact, he worked from January of 93 to October of 94 on the very first interventions. They took the Comedicore West and, and created a thousand square foot exhibition space, which officially opened the July of that year mm-hmm. and featured displays by major American corporations like AT&T, GE, GM, Motorola, Honeywell, IBM, Apple, Silicon Graphics, and Lego. And that display was deemed so popular, so successful that Disneyland that was in the process of reimagining its Tomorrowland in the late uh, 80s and early 90s said, hey, we want an Innoventions too." So February of 96 through May of 1998, that, that's when the new new version of Disneyland's Tomorrowland opened. Terry did the exact same thing. He took a pre-existing structure, mm. which in this case was the Carousel of Progress uh, theater go around building. And then turned that into a space where, uh, Len, I, I, I wanted to share this piece of Disney speak with you. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Hold on, wait, let me uh, deep breath here. Let me brace myself. Okay. okay. All right. So, so this was the goal of Innoventions. It was to deliver corporate messages through family play experiences through a mixture of high-tech, low-tech, and no-tech hands-on exhibits. I mean, you could say the same thing for the Play Pavilion, right? If you told me that the Play Pavilion's uh, purpose was to deliver corporate messages through family play experiences through a mixture of high-tech, low-tech, and no-tech hands-on exhibits, I would, I'd be like, yes, mission statement accomplished. Move on to the next thing. There we go. But, but again, it's Disney's corporate. It's like, you, you need to buy that Owl House plush. Come on, kid, go buy it. <laughs> so anyway, this time around, Dobson ends up working with a 30,000-square-foot 
exit space. Okay, so w- so roughly one third of the size, thirty percent of the size yeah. of. Uh, okay. Well, what I love is in addition to Compaq, Honeywell, AT and T, GM, you know, a lot of carryovers from from Florida. Mm-hmm. He's also got. Kaiser Permanente in there, which again, Kaiser was one of you know the original sponsors. You know that that uh, you know Kaiser Hall of Aluminum. What does what does Kaiser Permanente do? I think these days, oh it's Kaiser a health- uh, healthcare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what yeah, did they do back a- in the day? The Kaiser Hall of Aluminum. You know that I'm blanking the name of the the aluminum pig who is the host of the exhibit. But yeah, <laughs> I, I love that. Okay, let's go back to the well and see if Kaiser's willing to cut us a check. Anyway, West Coast version of intervention. It's uh, also hugely popular. So Dobson returns to Imagineering to find the Millennium Celebration team waiting for him. And they, they tell him, hey, Terry, how would you like to do another interventions like project with lots of displays? Only... This time you're going to be working with with countries rather than corporations, which I'm sure are going to be far easier to deal with. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> the upside is this time you'll be working with a brand new building, uh, 65,000 square feet, Ooh. which uh, Len and I uh, will be talking about on the next part of this two-part series. We're going to be taking a look at a topic that is near and dear to our heart. In fact, I think this is how you and I initially bonded, Len, over the Millennium Village, oh. now uh, better known as World Show Place, right. which, again, was located inside of the structure from October of 1999 through December of 2000. Our, our listeners can go in this now, right, because uh, World Show Place is used for food and wine. Well, that's the interesting thing. The other thing we're going to discuss is the real reason that this 65,000-square-foot structure was built backstage at World Showcase between this theme park's Canada Pavilion and the UK Pavilion because it wasn't necessarily meant to be just for the millennium. Really? Yep. That is super interesting. Yeah, so this would be great. We uh, we can talk about it on the next show, and then our listeners can grab some food from Food & Wine and then walk through it as they're listening to it. That's great. There we go. Also, Jim, I want to point out that you started the show, uh, the story with uh, the Y2K bug. Um, we're not done with those kinds of issues. Uh, are you familiar with the year 2038 problem? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so uh, so here's the uh, here's the deal. So uh, mm-hmm. a lot of people on our um, on our podcast are technical. You guys all know that uh, in Unix-based computer systems, and this includes Linux, they keep track of time by counting the number of seconds that have elapsed since January first, nineteen seventy, and that's the mm-hmm. epoch, right? That's the beginning. Well, it turns okay. out that some Unix systems use a thirty-two bit um, integer to keep track of the number of seconds. If you do the math you will run out of seconds on January 19th, 2038, in which case everything will revert back to January 1st, 1970. Now, some systems have gotten around this by expanding from 32 bits to 64 bits, which solves the problem for, you know, until the heat death of the universe. Um, But there's always the chance that there's some distributed system somewhere or some embedded system somewhere that is still going to use 32 bits to represent time until the year uh, 2038. Uh, so we'll see what happens in uh, in another 16 years. Uh, Len, I just literally got the freeze-dried food out of the basement. <laughs> and, you know, I, I gave away my grain grinder. You, oh. you, you, you got some time, Jim. You got some time. But uh, yeah, oh, so the uh, it's called the, uh, in Unix circles, it's called the apocalypse. E-P-O-C-H-A-L-Y-P-S-A. Uh, yeah, okay. 2038. Well, we're, all, we're all doomed. Well, definitely <laughs> 
I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure it'll be okay, fine. Well, okay, well. Because, you know, the number of computers with embedded systems has only gone down since the year 2000. So the problem is definitely not increasing in size. We're all fine. We're oh. all fine. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, this weekend, we're all just going to be watching uh, prepper shows on Discovery. <laughs> yeah, I, like I said, I'm getting out of the credit card now. It's like, how much for the freeze dyed veal again? Okay. <laughs> exactly. gonna, like, Meals ready to eat in bulk. There we right. go. There we go. So. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please help support our show and Jim Hill Media by subscribing over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com, and you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. One of the ones that we have upcoming includes a special guest where we talk about what's happening at Universal Orlando's Epic Universe. And on next week's regular show, we continue our story around the Pins Around the World event held inside of Epcot's World Showplace, former home of the Millennium Village. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who's introducing an electric lute solo into Deck the Halls as part of the Mannheim Steamroller Christmas Show on Friday, December 23rd, 2022 at the Des Moines Civic Center in beautiful downtown Des Moines, Iowa. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and Radar Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show. <laughs>